you guys can have a seat. That was incredible. Hey, if you're a teenager in the room, uh, I just want to throw this out there. SJ's with us a lot on Wednesday nights, so you can come experience some worship with us on Wednesday nights. Awesome. Hey, hey, if you don't know me, my name's Tim. I'm one of the student pastors here. Um, We have an exciting weekend going on here at FCC. Um, Right now is the close kind of of our men's fall catalyst retreat. Some of your husbands maybe are at that right now. And um, man, I've got some messages this morning from some of the team that's there and just hearing about what God's doing. There have been men because of this weekend who have trusted Jesus with their lives for the very first time. And so there's something to celebrate there. Absolutely. And many other men who, who already know Jesus and follow Jesus who are strengthened and encouraged and ready to, with abandon, follow Jesus more. And so um, it's encouraging to know that that's happening right now and that also God is at work here simultaneously. So um, while they're doing that, you guys are stuck with me here. Um, so we'll just kind of continue on in our, uh, in our series here. Uh, there's this song that we sang this morning, Boldly I Approach. And uh, there's a, a line in that that this whole series that we've been entitled More is about. It says, Behold the bright and risen sun, more beauty than this world has ever known. And, and the whole idea behind that is simply this, right? If we were to, if we were to gaze at Jesus um, long enough that we would uh, understand that the beauty of Jesus far surpasses anything that this world has to offer, and that if we gaze at him long enough, we would have to contemplate whether or not he's um, worth us giving everything for and following with abandon. So, um, so we're going to just continue on in that um, this, uh, through this. The last few weeks, you know, uh, have been about uh, the first week we talked right, more righteous, more holy, right? God is perfect in that, and everything he does is right. Um, the next being loving, that God's love is perfect, and even he loves us enough to do what's best for us. Um, And then last week, Rick um, gave an amazing message on God's power and the power of Jesus specifically. And and today, we're going to kind of transition, and we're going to build on that, and and we're going to talk about um, Jesus' wisdom and knowledge and and how great and grand that is. And and again, this whole idea of more um, is, is really this simple truth, right? We all want more. Doesn't matter what it is, we all want more. Um, I'm not known for having the best memory, but I do remember a few things about my childhood. One of those things being that I uh, love food, and I would always ask for more. Now, this was a problem in my home because my parents were very clear-cut on this. You get one canned soda, and you get one snack throughout the day. So choose wisely, um, and that's all you get. But it would never fail, regardless of how quickly I ate that zebra cake or drank that root beer. I was asking for more every single time. Every single day, I wanted more sugar. I wanted more food. Um, A a favorite place of mine uh, in my childhood was uh, CeCe's Pizza uh, because there's no shortage, right? You just keep going back, and they keep putting more pizza out there, more and more. more. So that fit me really well because I didn't have to ask my parents for permission um, so I could go get more food. Right, that uh, desire for more transitioned a little bit um, as I got older, and it, it became time. I would want more time playing video games or more time hanging out with my friends, uh, more time doing something other than homework or whatever going on. Um, as I grew older, the desire for more turned into more money. Right, $5 weekly allowance at some point just didn't feel like enough. And so asking for a little bit more on the weekends, whatever it was. Um, Next thing came freedom. I just wanted a little bit more freedom, a little more responsibility. I wanted to have uh, the keys to the car a little bit more on the weekends. And eventually saying, hey, how about you give me my own set of keys in my own car so I can have more freedom in that, right? I think this 
uh, you, you, know, you can think for yourself what, what that desire for more is. I, I think there's a spiritual application to that too because um, spiritually, right, we're seeking for more. And, and what we're trying to uncover in this series is that, um, again, if we gaze at Jesus long enough, we might discover that he is the more that we're looking for. Like whatever void that we're trying to fill um, that's going on in here, like could it possibly be that Jesus is that more? And that if we run to him, that he would fill that. And so um, that's what we're going to kind of take a look at and, and, and look at this, this next beautiful characteristic about God is that he is, he is full of wisdom and knowledge. He holds all wisdom and all knowledge. Uh, there's a passage of scripture that I was first drawn to in studying this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, if you're following along, if you're taking notes. Um, if not, you can, you can check it on the screens. It says this, right? For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. So Paul's writing, and he wants to give a little just perspective. If you want to know about godly wisdom and kind of where it's at, he wants to make it very clear that, that God's wisdom is far above ours. So far above that even the, the bottom of that barrel for God is well above as high as we're ever going to get in our own wisdom and knowledge. And that's important perspective to know as we go into this discussion because um, what we really believe, what the Bible teaches, is that God's wisdom is so grand and it can have a deep impact on our lives, okay? So as we jump into this, I figured it might be important for us to maybe just put a definition around wisdom so that we can kind of be on the same page as we, as we do this. So this is, this is what I believe the Bible defines wisdom as, okay? Um, it's infinite understanding that surpasses experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Infinite understanding that surpasses experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So godly wisdom is more than just about being right or wrong or by chance getting something going in the right direction, right? Wisdom is this infinite understanding that only God possesses to know um, how to live a successful life, right? Knowledge would be like the intellectual understanding of things, to, to know what's going on in somebody's life, um, etc. And so wisdom, as described in the Bible, is this um, infinite understanding uh, that surpasses experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Like human wisdom, we know, is built on exactly those three things, right? Experience, knowledge, and good judgment. As we get a little bit older and maybe as the hair turns a little bit grayer, we learn from experience. We mess up and we hope we don't make those mess ups again. We don't mess up and we learn from that. We apply that and we, and we try and grow and we become wiser in that. Um, we can amass knowledge through school and all that good stuff. And then good judgment, hopefully we make better decisions as the time flies. But all those things are very limited, limited to what we can mentally have capacity for. And so I want us to, to separate our, our belief that godly wisdom is something that we possess in and of ourselves, because it's not. And I think it's important for us to understand that. As I started to dig a little bit deeper into this topic and kind of studying for this, there's this question that kind of just kept popping up that I think every single one of us face at some point. You may be standing right in front of it right now, and, and that may be a, a, a very serious uh, situation that you're in, or maybe you have past experience, or maybe you know something is coming ahead. Um, but it's, it's this really simple question that we all face, right? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? I think um, wisdom has a say in this, and that's what I want us to kind of take a look at the scriptures for. Um, but maybe even begin to think for yourself, 
in some of your own past experience or something coming down the pipe? Like, what, what does that look like? Like, what are some of those things um, or those situations you find yourself where you just don't know what to do? Um, it's been about five years now that I moved out here um, to the Bay Area to be a part of the staff here at SCC, and it has been an amazing five years. Um, I cannot tell you how much God has done in those five years, but five years ago, I was in, I was in kind of a really cool season of my life. I was in college, and I really had the world just wide open to me to kind of uh, figure out what I was going to do, and so um, I, I really had two things in my life that I was concrete on, that God had really given me clarity on, and that I was confident in. And outside of those two things, it was really kind of just, okay, I'm just going to kind of go where, wherever I want to go and, and experience life. And um, the first thing being that I, I just heard God so clearly lead me and teach me that um, uh, some type of ministry was going to be for me vocationally. And uh, he just given me an opportunity to uh, intern in a student ministry, I and mean, these passions and this gifting just started to come out that I didn't even know existed, and God just began to use that and said, that's where I'm taking you. So I, career-wise, I kind of I knew that's where I said I didn't know what that looked like, where I was going to be, and all that good stuff, um, but I knew 100%, like, that's where God was taking me. Second thing was this, was uh, I knew I was in love. I met this girl a year and a half uh, previous to this time, and we were two hours apart, and I was doing everything I could to get to her town and spend time with her, any opportunity I get. We've been dating for a year and a half, and I'm at this point really starting to believe, like, this is my wife. This isn't just my girlfriend. One day, this is going to lead to marriage. And, and so really exciting time. Well, right in the middle of that, I get a call from one of our pastors here, Kevin Pate, about an opportunity to come on staff here at FCC. And... Um, uh, while that would have been an incredibly easy decision to make to come be a part of what God's doing here, um, the thing that made that difficult was that no sooner than a week or two afterwards, I had just built this beautiful concrete plan, signed the dotted line of a lease, had the acceptance letter for a university in the town that my girlfriend was currently living in, and was ready just head over heels running 100 miles an hour to finally get to be in the same city as my girlfriend. And just continue to see, man, is God in this or not? And I really felt like he was. And so when this opportunity came up, all of a sudden, these first thoughts of like, what do I do? I see so clearly, God, I know you're calling me to ministry. I mean, this opportunity looks really cool. Man, what, would you, what could you do with this? But also, this could be the woman that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Like, that's something to take seriously. And, and I literally found myself right in the middle of not having a clue what to do. I didn't want to miss out on what God would have for me ministry-wise, and I also didn't want to miss out on an opportunity to be with an amazing, godly woman for the rest of my life. And so um, lots of prayer, lots of hard conversations with God and my girlfriend at the time. And God began to um, slowly but surely, very clearly begin to say that SCC was going to be my new home. And I was holding so tightly to this relationship that I had that I had legitimate fear that I was going to have to give that up or that I was going to lose it legitimate fear inside of me that I was going to lose what I was holding so tightly to and still wrestling with, I really feel like God's calling me to this. So right in the middle of this situation of what am I going to do, you know, there was really, there's really only one of two choices, and this is true for you today, and I'm, I'm going to oversimplify this for a second, but there's, there's a wise choice and there's a foolish choice, right, when we're talking about this. And that's a huge oversimplification that I want to look to God's word to help us maybe dig through a little bit. I think there's, there's one of two people in the room. I think you're either a Jonah or a Daniel. 
I think you're a Jonah or a Daniel. I think these two stories in the Bible, God has used these to help me grow in my understanding of what godly wisdom looks like and how it can impact the way we live our lives and how it can impact outcomes in our lives. And so what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at those two passages of Scripture um, Jonah is a book in the Old Testament. Daniel is a book in the Old Testament. We don't have time today to dig through the entirety of both of those books, but I would highly encourage you. I'm sure you don't have anything to do this afternoon, a football game or anything, but when you get some free time, um, dig into the book of Daniel and dig into the book of Jonah um, because there is so much godly wisdom wrapped up in those two books that literally has application to the way we live our lives right here, right now. So we're going to take some pieces out of that, but you got to go do the homework on your own, and, and it'll greatly benefit you, okay? Um, and here's what I mean by um, we're either, everybody in the room is either a Jonah or a Daniel. I think um, when we start to read these stories, we begin to see a clear difference between um, submitting to and running to godly wisdom and uh, putting our hands up and pushing back against some godly wisdom. And so let's take a look at Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Here's what you need to know about Jonah. Jonah's a prophet. Um, at this point in history, God's presence has left the earth, and he has chosen to speak to his people through prophets. And so these are a really important role and a really important person in, in kind of the priesthood of, of God's people. And so when God speaks, he speaks to Jonah, and Jonah takes that message to God's people, and he gives direction and all that good stuff. And so let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and healed and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Right? There's a, a clear picture being painted here in the book of Jonah that uh, Jonah's scared of something. Jonah's scared of something. He hears clearly the voice of God say, hey, I want you to go to this place, and I want you to tell the people there that they need to turn from their ways because they've fallen against me, and they're evil. And instead of doing exactly that, Jonah decides, actually, I've got a better idea, 180 degrees the other direction. Right? It's clear that Jonah is scared of something. And the oversimplification of this, right, because we know how the story ends, is that that was a pretty foolish decision. Right? You continue to read um, in the book of Jonah, and what happens to Jonah is he's actually thrown overboard of the ship that he's on. He's swallowed by a really big fish and miraculously survives somehow and gets a second opportunity. He gets this second opportunity. He goes to the place that God first called him to, and he shares this message with these people who are evil and who've, who've chosen that God's way is not for us. We're going to go this way. And he goes to them and he tells them, hey, if you don't turn back to God in 40 days, you're toast. God's done with you, and he's going to destroy you as a people. And uh, what we see unfold, I want to read for us in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. You can follow along with me, right? Um, Jonah gives this message, and the people, miraculously, with love and grace from God, turn from their evil ways. And it says this in verse 10, right? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Right, Jonah, being so caught up in the fear that he had, decided to go another direction when God, all this time, had this beautiful plan 
to save these people, to bring them back to himself, give them one last chance. And sure enough, what did they do? They said, okay, God, we've been wrong. We've been evil. We've been chasing the wrong direction, and we're back to you. And God saves these people. And the thing that I want us to take out of this observation for us, I think, in Jonah in regards to godly wisdom is this, right? Fear and pride drown out godly wisdom. Fear and pride drown out godly wisdom. For Jonah, he was so afraid and he was so inward focused on his welfare and what was going to happen to him that he couldn't hear God speak clearly. He heard him, but he didn't hear him. Because if he would have been hearing clearly, if he wouldn't have been so inwardly focused or fearful because he's seen God do amazing things, he could have gone the first time and just seen God's work take over and do amazing things. But instead, fear and pride pushed him 180 degrees away from the godly wisdom that God was offering him. And he almost gets killed because of it. He gets swallowed by fish and is almost killed. It's amazing to me um, to try and think of my own life, some of the things that have looked like that, right? My story... Um, as I'm having this internal battle with God and having a lot of conversations with him, my girlfriend, right, I am holding so tightly to this relationship that I have. And I am fearful that God would one day say, actually, I have something else for you and lead me somewhere else. I'm so fearful that I'm not going to let go. I'm going to grip tightly to this relationship because I think it's good and, and all that. Right? I'm going to hold so tightly to that. And, and for a, a small period of time there, it, it kept me from really seeing what God was trying to say. I think we need to be mindful if you find yourself right now in a situation of, I don't know what I'm going to do. Fear and pride are not from God, and they're not going to help you find godly wisdom in that situation. So I hope we'll be cautious if you're seeking godly wisdom in whatever that situation may be, that you don't let fear and pride drive the outcome or influence the decision that you're going to make, whatever that decision may be, right? And the flip side of this coin is Daniel, right? If you're not a, Dan- if you're not a uh, Jonah, then, then you're a Daniel. Uh, this is a, a lengthy book, and, and I'll summarize quite a bit of it for you here before we read a little bit. Um, Daniel is a teenage guy when we pick up in this book, and the Babylonian kingdom has just kind of overtaken um, a portion of God's people, and they've actually taken them captive. And Daniel finds him in a situation where he's been removed from his home, from his family, from everything that he knows to be normal and good and godly, and put into um, a nation and a people and a kingdom who do not value God in the way that he does. He has to learn a new language, learn new culture, Everything has changed, and he's being forced into all of it. It's really, honestly, a terrible situation, one that, that we don't know anything about. Um, but it's a really terrible situation. He finds himself in that. And this book is this beautiful depiction of, despite terrible circumstances, how God and his wisdom can interject into that and influence things for his kingdom. It is amazing to watch. And you see the book open up, and Daniel, being a godly man, says, I'm not even going to eat or drink the food and drink that you give me because it's not of God. And so um, if that's going to you know, cause any problems, well, God just works miracles in this. And finally, right, in, or not finally, but later into chapter 2, we find this interaction with Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, being the head of the, the Babylonian Empire, has the power to end anyone's life at any moment. I mean, he's, got, he's that kind of guy. And he is troubled, um, sleepless over these dreams that he's having. And he cannot come up with the reason for them, the meaning behind them, and it is literally driving him crazy. And so he's calling in magicians and interpreters and all these people to say, hey, you need to tell me what's going on. None of them can do it. 
And there's this interaction with Daniel that is, is worth us reading. It's in chapter 2, verses 26 through 28. Listen to this. The king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Can you just picture a a teenage boy standing in front of a king with such boldness and courage and telling him, hey, I see you got a big issue in front of you, but let me just be clear on this. Nobody on this earth can answer your problems. Nobody on this earth can fix the problem that you're in. But there is a God who knows all things and who has all wisdom, and he can interpret your dream. He can tell you what has been driving you crazy. And God gives Daniel in that moment the ability, without even hearing what the dream was, to interpret the meaning of the dream, proving that God does have all power and wisdom in this situation. And that's just the beginning to this journey that Daniel is on where God and his favor and his wisdom are poured out on Daniel despite terrible circumstances. Now the thing that I think we take away from that is this. Here's the observation, right? That trust and the release of control are fertile soil for hearing God's wisdom. Let me say that again. Right? Trust and the release of control are fertile soil for the hearing of God's wisdom. If we look at Daniel's life, he recognized that he did not have wisdom. He recognized, I'm just a teenage guy. He recognized that in and of himself he has no power to do anything for the king. But what he also recognized is that he serves the God who holds all of those things and who gives it freely to those who ask. And so what what Daniel did was despite the mess that he finds himself in, he trusted that God's plan is sovereign, that God actually knows what he's doing despite the circumstances. And he trusted that with everything, even to the point of being so bold in front of a guy that could literally have his head cut off if he doesn't say what he wants him to say. Right? And he's given up this release of control. Daniel is not controlling his life at this point. Moment by moment, he's depending on God, on God to get him through whatever situation. And the rest of the book of Daniel is just this beautiful picture of that. Right? And we're back to the question, right? What do you do when you don't know what to do? The question we're all going to ask, and maybe that you're asking right now. Here's, here's what I'd say. Uh, don't be a Jonah. And here's what I mean by that. Don't run in fear. Don't run in fear. Don't look inward. When you don't know what to do, don't run in fear and don't look inward. Because you and of yourself are not going to be able to sum up the the wise counsel needed to run through a fire. You're not going to be able to do it. But I would say, right, be a Daniel. Trust that God's plan is sovereign, that he knows what he's doing, And that if you submit to that, he's going to work powerful things in that, right? And the last thing is release control. Release control. We have to be willing, right? Like I was so tightly holding on to that relationship. God cannot possibly give me that clarity. I can't possibly hear him clearly if I'm holding so tightly to something that's just taking my gaze off of him. So we've got to release control of those things, right? So who are you? Are you Daniel or are you Jonah? And if, if you're Jonah, here's the good news. Right? You don't have to be Jonah for the rest of your life, right? 
Jonah was given this amazing miracle second chance. The fish spit him out, and he survived. And God said, I'll give you one more shot. You need to go back at it. So we can, too, get spit out as well. Uh, let's, let's, let's transition and talk um, specifically about Jesus, because um, so far we've talked about God's wisdom and godly wisdom, and I think it's important for us to understand um, that Jesus encompasses all of that godly wisdom. And here's what I mean. Let's, let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Um, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? We read that almost every Christmas. And I've read that passage 100,000 times, and I'm sure you may have as well. And the one thing that I tend to skip over on that is this, this phrase, right? Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Hundreds of years before Jesus is even born, Isaiah is making this proclamation, this identity statement, this identifier of who Jesus is as Savior of the world, that he shall be known as Wonderful Counselor. Capital W, capital C. In that Jesus is... Wisdom in flesh. Jesus is wisdom in flesh. That he, in the time that he walked this earth, held every bit of wisdom that God has ever owned, he had at his disposal. And he is called wise counselor because in Jesus and only in Jesus are we able to access that wisdom. In Jesus and through Jesus, we're able to access that wisdom, right? In John chapter 1, this statement, right? Like when God put on flesh and came to this earth, he became a dwelling among men, that he wasn't just another guy. He was wisdom in flesh. And man, I hope that is um, a huge weight off of your shoulders. For those of you who are standing right in front of that I don't know what to do situation, because Jesus is offering an opportunity through relationship to give you access to that wisdom. We could spend years dissecting the entire New Testament and, and taking all the wise sayings that Jesus has and, and all that stuff, and we don't have time for that, but I do want us to focus on, on one piece of the wisdom of Jesus, and it's, it's Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 through 34. And this may be a really familiar passage for some of you guys. This whole subsection of Scripture is great. You should read it um, in your own time as well. But in 33, it says this, right? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, have you ever read that verse, that passage, and thought to Jesus, like, man, if you only knew... And if you only knew, Jesus, like what I'm facing right now, I don't have the luxury of not worrying about what tomorrow has because it's coming and it's coming hard and it's coming to destroy me. Right? Have you ever had that thought? I've, I've had those thoughts about, about this passage. And honestly, there's some wrestling there that we all have to do. But, but I understand the thought behind that. But here's what I would say to that. If Jesus truly holds all wisdom then, man, it has just freed us up to stop worrying about tomorrow. Because guess what? That means that Jesus is so wise that he even knows the future. That when he is orchestrating his sovereign plan, he knows the outcome. 
He knows the ending. So he is not sending you into anything that he does not already know. He's not putting something in front of you that he does not already know the outcome to. And that should be incredible news to us because Jesus knows the future. Let that take the weight off our shoulders. So, so when we become afraid, when we hear God maybe whispering to us about making this change in our life or moving this direction or talking to this person, and we start to feel uh, fear kind of well up in us, let's remember that Jesus holds all wisdom and that, man, he has given us the opportunity to trust him. And just like Daniel, I think if we trust like Daniel, we begin to see similar outcomes, right? That God does absolute miracles in our lives, absolute miracles. But those miracles have no room and no space without us first trusting him and releasing control. I think for, for all of us in this room, we have to consider the, the reality that if Jesus holds all wisdom and knowledge, then we must ask ourselves, how much of our lives have we entrusted to him? How much of our lives, if any, have we trusted to him? Because if he has all wisdom, then he's worth trusting with everything, right? It's not the stock market. You can't predict the future of what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Maybe you just had your fantasy football draft like me. I can't predict who's going to play well for my team. And if that's what life was built on, was just all these uh, things that we can't predict, then we'd be in big trouble. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm offering you wisdom in this. So how much of your life have you trusted Jesus with, if any? And what I would say to you is that just like all these other characteristics that we've talked about through this series, right, God's righteousness, his love, his power, his wisdom and knowledge, um, you, can't, you can't pick and choose which of those you want to give him. You can't give him credit for three out of the four and think that, that, that this is just going to be a great outcome for your life. It doesn't work like that. Right, that God's wisdom is given to us through a relationship with Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross, and when he did, he was willing to pay the penalty and the cost for your sin and for my sin. And that on that day, for all of those who will ask for that forgiveness and then in exchange give leadership of their lives over to Jesus, all sin's forgiven, and this relationship starts. And when that relationship starts, we have been given VIP access to the God of the universe who holds all wisdom. Man, that's awesome. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your situation is. I mean, you may be face-to-face with some heavy stuff. What I would say to you is that nothing um, out there is going to be able to, to intervene into that like Jesus can. Because Jesus has the power and the wisdom to, to, to know what the future holds. So no matter um, if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus and you're considering that, and I would say that relationship is going to be that key to getting this access to godly wisdom, or if you've been following Jesus and maybe you're um, like Jonah in the moment and you've forgotten or you're holding tightly to some things or um, your gaze has just been taken away no matter where you're at and that, I think the, the application for us is this. James 1 Verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Man, he is waiting for you to ask, for me to ask. Godly wisdom is waiting there for you. So what's holding us back? 
I think we really do have to consider if there's some things that, that we're holding tightly to. Um, for me, I really was holding too tightly to that relationship. And God began to speak even clearer and clearer that FCC was going to be my next home. And God began to open amazing doors and, I mean, literal miraculous type stuff to get me here. And it's been an amazing five-year run. And, and until I was willing to say at that point that, okay, God, if that means this relationship will end, I'm okay with that. Because what I see so clearly is you taking me here because your plan is sovereign, because you know all things and you know the future. I can follow that. And I stepped into that, and I didn't, not willingly all the time, but followed through with that. And God's love and grace allowed for that relationship to, to continue. And not even a year after I moved out here, we got engaged. And seven months later, we're married. And now just 14 months ago, we have our daughter. And all of these things, right? And I see just this amazing a sovereign plan of God that started with his wisdom because he knew five years ago where I would be standing today. How amazing that God would know that and bless me with those things. Man, I think we should consider strongly, and if you've never trusted your life to Jesus, that it doesn't just fix all of your issues, it doesn't just give you all the answers right out of the way, but his wisdom is enough to intervene and to change and transform and do huge things. Y'all pray with me. God, thank you so much for this space that you've given us. God, thank you for your wisdom. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for uh, the reality that um, he knew everything um, about me and about us the day that he went to the cross. He knew every sin that I've committed, that I'm going to commit, and yet he still chose to sacrifice himself, God, and, and to give me a relationship with you. And for that, I'm grateful, God, and I pray um, now in this time that if there's contemplation going on in the minds and hearts of, of those in this room, God, that you would uh, intervene into that and that you would give us um, this overwhelming sense of your desire to be in a relationship with us and that all other things fall short and all other things don't matter. God, I pray that you would give us access to your wisdom through your son, Jesus, and that, uh, God, that we would be transformed by that. So, God, we love you and we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.